full recap of New Year's Eve games, a timeline for Zion Williamson. Steve Kerr wants the officials to change how they blow the whistle. And Jared Dudley drops truth bombs. Happy New Year, everybody. It's the Locked On NBA podcast. Let's go. You are locked on the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Yeah, that's right. I'm podcasting on New Year's Eve. And it's not because I got nowhere to go. It's because I choose to not go out on New Year's Eve because I think it's amateur hour. And I'd rather stay at home watching basketball and talking to you. I'm John Corrales. I'm the regular host of the Locked On Celtics podcast. I'm normally joined here by Jake Madison, but he's actually got New Year's Eve planned. So I'm just going to do this by myself. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at RedsArmy underscore John. I'm going to run through all the games, all the stuff that I talked about before. So let's get to it. It's a segment we call Too Long Didn't Watch. Here are all of the Tuesday games in the NBA, starting with the matinee Celtics at Charlotte winning 109-92. Celtics got uh, 66 combined points from Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, and Gordon Hayward. Charlotte needed five players to get 60 points. So that tells you how that went. Uh, this was a relatively easy win for the Boston Celtics, who came out a little bit cold, but Jason Tatum scored 13 of his 24 in the first quarter. And basically the Celtics, whenever things got close, they went on a run and they would relax, and then they would go on a run. So Celtics win this one easily in Charlotte. Indy beats Philly. Very easily. Philly had no Embiid and really no chance against DeMontis Sabonis, who had 23 points and 10 rebounds to lead Indy. TJ Warren had 21 points. They even lost Malcolm Brogdon to back spasms. Josh Richardson led the Sixers with 20 points on 7 of 14 shooting. Ben Simmons, 18 points, 10 rebounds, 3 assists, but 6 turnovers and then no help beyond that. Horford had five points, three rebounds to assist, shot two of 12. Tobias Harris, nine points, two rebounds, three assists, only took nine shots. Uh, really, this is tough for Philly. Like, it's not that they lost. It's that they really didn't even show up in this game. They got down huge early. Uh, th- this is a problematic uh, se- sequence of events, series of games for the Sixers who uh, have been struggling, and you start to see more and more the calls for something to be done with Philly, and it's starting to feel like Brett Brown is the, the seat's getting a little hot for Brett Brown. I don't know if Philly's gonna gonna pull that trigger, but it's it's starting to feel that way a little bit. Uh, and, and really, the biggest thing here uh, with Philadelphia is that Ben Simmons, I hate to bring up the Ben Simmons doesn't shoot, but like this is something that's a big problem. If you want to fix the 76ers, the number one thing that can fix the 76ers is Ben Simmons developing some sort of jump shot. Even It doesn't even have to be a three. It can be a long two. At this point, anything. I know he's hit a couple of threes this year, which is slight, like the most incremental type of progress, but Simmons needs to be a threat from deep and the Sixers need to get a little bit more creative when they are on offense because they don't have a ton of shooters and the problems in Philly are getting uh, pretty serious. And so 
I won't dive too deep into it because I've got other games to get to, but this is a problematic loss for Philly, more so in how they lost. I know they didn't have Embiid, but the the effort, the 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 problems that have plagued them all along continue to, and this is a problem. Moving on, Clippers beat Sacramento 105-87. No Patrick Beverly for the Clippers. No Lou Williams. Didn't matter. Kawhi Leonard, 24 points, 7 assists. Paul George, 21 points, uh, 11 rebounds, 9 assists. They did not shoot well. Kawhi shot 8 of 21. Paul George, 6 of 25. Much like the Celtics game, this was like a, a game that the Clippers took a big early lead and just kind of relaxed. And whenever they needed to push, they pushed. But after that, they just relaxed. And the Kings would make a little bit of a run. Uh, they'd actually cut this thing to 11 in the fourth quarter. But the Kings just not equipped to do uh, anything to to close this thing out. Uh, it's their eighth straight loss. They're 10 games below, below 500 right now. They didn't get anything from De'Aaron Fox, who was just 3 of 10. He did have uh, nine points and six assists. That was that was it. Just not really a great De'Aaron Fox game. The Kings got 44 points combined from Rashawn Holmes and Buddy Heald, but Buddy Heald three of ten from three. Nothing from anybody else. Eight of 28 overall from three. If they're not hitting their threes, they're not winning games. The Toronto Raptors beat the Cavaliers 117-97. Kyle Lowry 24 points, eight assists on seven of 16 shooting. Serge Ibaka, 20 points, 8 of 11 field goals, 10 rebounds. Terrence Davis, the rookie, off the bench, 25 minutes, 19 points, 4 rebounds, and an assist on 7-12 shooting, 4 of 7 from 3. This thing was won in the second quarter when the Raptors outscored the Cavs 32-18. to uh, There were 10 lead changes early on in this game, but then the second quarter came around and it was curtains for the Cavaliers. So that's that there. Moving on, the Houston Rockets destroying the Denver Nuggets 130-104. But this was big lead early and then a huge third quarter from the Denver Nuggets. And this was actually a three-point game going into the fourth quarter. The Nuggets made a big run when James Harden was sitting and... They got it down to three to start the fourth, and then Houston, with James Harden back, went on a 19-3 to run to start the fourth and won the fourth quarter 38-15. to So they just came out and ran away with that. Uh, Harden, 35 points, 6 assists, 10 of 17 shooting, 9 of 13 from the free throw line. Russell Westbrook, 28 points, 7 assists, 3 rebounds, a block and a steal, shot 11 of 22. A, a, an efficient night for Russell Westbrook, uh, an oddly efficient night for Russell Westbrook. And it, really the big thing here, the really the, the best news for a Rockets fan is Isaiah Hartenstein, who uh, came out and a double-double, 16 points, 12 rebounds off the bench. I mean, he was everywhere. Uh, and maybe because the Rockets broadcast was like really hyping this guy up, but he he's actually showing some depth here and has shown some real uh real production recently and any bit of depth that can emerge for the rockets especially like this uh, a big that's that's going to be a, a huge huge help for the rockets so a uh, nice game from him 
the Rockets really at full strength for the first time. I mean, Eric Gordon started the season hurt. Uh, James Harden missed the last game. So this really was the first game where Houston had all of its weapons. So obviously small sample size, but a lot of talk about Houston, you know, up and down, whatever, whatever. This was a statement. Don't want to overreact to single games, but you make the statement of, hey, we've got all of our guys now and we're actually showing a little bit more. The people who were unheralded are, are starting to show something. I don't know. Maybe this is something. Maybe this is something for the Houston Rockets. Nikola Jokic, 21 points, 10 of 17 field goals, but six turnovers in this game. Jamal Murray, this was a bad Jamal Murray night, 12 points on 5 of 14 shooting. And uh, 13 points, 9 rebounds for Paul Millsap after two games uh, missed with a knee injury. San Antonio and the Golden State Warriors went to overtime 117-113. Warriors without uh, D'Lo got uh, some nice production out of their backcourt. 28 points for Alec Burks, 9 of 20 field goals, 4 of 5 from 3. Damian Lee had 20 points, but DeJounte Murray, who scored 7 of his 15 points in the overtime, was the difference. 3 of 3 shooting in the overtime. The Spurs were led by DeMar DeRozan, who's 24 points on 11 of 18 shooting. LaMarcus Aldridge chipped in 17 and 12. And the final game of the night, Oklahoma City and Dallas, 106-101 OKC Thunder close out the decade. Chris Paul led the, led, uh, the Thunder on a 14-2 run to close out the game. Luka Doncic had a big game, 35 points, 10 rebounds, 7 assists. But the Mavericks had a seven-point lead with 2.42 left. It was 99-92 Dallas, and they only scored two points the rest of the way. And OKC won it 106-101. Chris Paul, 17 points on 7 of 15 shooting. And let it be known that in this three-point era, in this spread offense era, the final shot, the final field goal made of the decade was a Chris Paul right elbow jumper. So I don't know what's that irony. So, I don't know what would that, I don't, I don't know what that would be called, but it's there. Uh, the Mavericks just shot 15 of 51 from deep and that's not going to win them very many games. The Thunder, meanwhile, are now 18 and 15. As we turn the page here, uh, a very surprising season from the Thunder. And so uh, a big win, big comeback, tough one for the Mavericks uh, and Luka Doncic. Uh, he had chances to win this thing, uh, missed two threes late and turned it over down the stretch. It just sometimes, sometimes even, even superstars like him are going to have those tough nights, uh, tough, good scoring night, great night generally, but... Tough stretches down the stretch. Coming up next, Zion Williamson back in January and Steve Kerr would like a change in the officiating. It's next on the Locked On NBA podcast. Good news for New Orleans Pelicans fans and NBA fans, really, because uh, Zion Williamson is going to return to practice soon, according to Sham Sharania, 
Uh, a January return is the goal for Zion Williamson. And uh, obviously that's going to be huge. This is maybe the most heralded rookie in a long time since, I don't know, maybe LeBron. Uh, and the the knee injury that's held him out, it, it's healed. He He could, if this was a different situation, could have come back. But the the Pelicans are being uh, extraordinarily cautious, and the one thing that's come about is that they're they're trying to kind of teach him how to walk and to run. And there is, you know, some of these guys who are big like Zion and freak athletes. I mean, frankly, you run a certain way. But I don't know why people run how they run, but. You, you run a certain way and it turns out that it's not particularly good for you. Uh, you know, for example, I just use myself for an example. When I started running, I was a heel striker. If you, you know, you run and you, you pound your heel into the ground and that did a lot of damage. It hurt and I had to learn how to run on the balls of my feet. And next thing you know, I started to actually be able to run longer distances and in some similar fashion, they're trying to kind of remake how Williamson moves his legs to come more from the core in his his glutes and less from just throwing his body around and and just relying on the sheer athleticism to just carry him through. The NBA is a grind and they're trying to make sure that he is healthy for the duration of his career. It's in the best interest of the team and for him because I mean he's going to make his money and but if he's constantly hurt, you don't want this to turn into a Greg Oden type of thing. You want this to be a long, fruitful career because, frankly, we in the NBA, around the NBA, fans of the NBA, we want to see him play. We want to see him have a full 15-year career and play well because I want to see the best of the best play the best basketball. That's whatever team he's on, wherever he goes – the best basketball players in the world need to be in the NBA and they need to be playing, especially when they're freak athletes like him and can do something crazy at any time. So hopefully that's all working out and a January return would be amazing for the Pelicans and for Zion. So keep an eye out for that. The other thing I want to see is guys to just play basketball and not shoot a ton of free throws. Like, I'm one of those guys that I just can't stand James Harden on most nights. Uh, not every night, I and I can acknowledge that there's a genius to what he does. And if I had him on my favorite team, I, I'm not going to say that I wouldn't be like, hey, you know, whatever works. Um, it, look, I cover the Boston Celtics, and I advocate for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to learn how to draw more fouls. But that being said, Steve Kerr in the San Francisco Chronicle wants things to change a little bit, and I agree with him. He says, quote, I would like to see a slight reversal in what we're trying to accomplish as a league. I think we've gone overboard in rewarding offensive players. And what I mean by that is we've rewarded offensive players for fooling the officials and attempting to fool the officials. I think we need to get back to the point where players need to earn fouls and earn it by beating their man and drawing contact in a natural way and not flopping and flailing and grabbing arms that's going on all over the league. Now, Kerr, that's end quote. Kerr has 
had the similar, uh, criticisms of, of Harden. And I tweeted out again, Reds Army underscore John, if you, if you haven't followed me on Twitter, I tweeted out a clip of Harden going against Jamal Murray from the Tuesday game. And he's dribbling. He's doing the same thing he always does. Dribble between his legs. Dun, 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 dun. Dribble, dribble, dribble. Waiting for the off, the defensive player to make a mistake. And of course, Murray is reaching. He's reaching in, trying to disrupt the rhythm of Harden's dribble. And Harden is brilliant at this. I mean, he's, he's found a glitch in the system and it exploits it every time. He waits, he knows when Murray's going to reach in, and then he, with his left hand, his shooting hand even, goes to the outside of Murray's hand, and then swings his hand back as if he's bringing the ball, well, he is bringing the ball to his shooting hand, but by going to the outside of Murray's hand, he now wraps up Murray's hand, and as he goes up, Murray's hand is on Harden's shooting hand. And Harden just rises right up through it and shoots the ball and drills a three and gets a four-point play out of it. So that's a foul. But is should that be a foul? He's Harden isn't just rising up to shoot the ball. He's purposely going around Murray's hand to then rise up and shoot the ball. Again, smart, very brilliant to do that because the referees are going to call that. But maybe they shouldn't be calling that. And at that point, it's either a no call or something else. And maybe they need to create a different class of fouls because you can still do that again. Like, remember once upon a time, it was the Kevin Durant, like, rip-through move. And Durant would rip through and, you know, you have your hands out, rips through, goes up and shoots. And that would always be a shooting foul. And they change the rule where that becomes a rip through and that's non-shooting. Maybe that falls into the same type of category. I don't know. The other thing that Harden does and a lot of players do, they jump and flail their legs forward. So then they get the, oh, he didn't give me space to land. And I've seen it happen a number of times. And again, it's not just Harden, but Harden is one of the bigger offenders of it. Jump up from the three. He's behind the three-point line. The defender's on the other side of the three-point line. The defender jumps straight up and down, but Harden jumps forward and flails his legs out. So then he's landing inside the three-point line and he falls and it gets called a foul. When if you see him just take a wide open jumper, that's not how he, that's not how he shoots. And the same for other guys kicking the leg out. Now they've called the kicking the leg out as an offensive foul, but that needs to be more, uh, consistent. And that needs to be happening on a regular basis. And I don't know what the officials need to do. I don't know if they need to add a fourth official or a dedicated replay official at the games that's watching on a monitor, maybe upstairs in a different room that's communicating through the mic to say, hey, you've blown the whistle, but that's not a foul. That's this. I don't know what it is. I don't want to keep stopping the game. I don't want to see a ton of free throws 
Fans don't want to see a ton of free throws. You know, you go to a game and you watch Harden. Now he only took 13, only 13. 13 is a lot of free throws. The NBA has a, a, a mandate. They're trying to get the game shorter. They're trying to make the game shorter. In the G League, they're making, except for the last two minutes of the game, I believe, every shot, a every free throw, one free throw. So you get foul taking a three, you get one free throw for three points or two points or one point, whatever it is. You get the and one, it's one point. But they're they're trying to eliminate free throws. They're they're experimenting in the G League with how to eliminate free throws. Meanwhile, guys like Harden are going to take 2025. 20, you know, Giannis is going to take 2025. 20, now, Giannis is different because he's just a force of nature and, and he just goes to the rim and people try to stop him and that they, they just can't. Now, that, if, if that's the guy that takes 25 three, like, if you can't stop him, you can't stop him and whatever. But I'd rather have it be a guy like that that bulls his way to the rim. And gets fouled in a natural way, like Steve Kerr is saying, then this guy just constantly flopping or whatever to, to draw fouls. Ultimately, fans just want to see the ball go up and down the floor and people score baskets. That's, that's what they want to see. No one wants to see a free throw shooting contest. So I agree with Steve Kerr and his sentiments. We'll see what the league does. After the break, Jared Dudley opens up on everything in The Athletic. I'm going to break down the top three things he said next in the Locked On NBA podcast. Bill Orem in The Athletic sat down with Jared Dudley and said, uh, I'm going to ask you a ton of questions and I hope you answer them all truthfully. And he did. So he, he really t- covered a lot of ground. Uh, I can't get into all of it because I'm only supposed to do a half hour podcast and we can break down every one of his answers. I'm just going to go with the top three things that I think that he mentioned. First, uh, in the interview, he was asked, who's your least favorite teammate ever? And I mean, truthfully, I mean, I, I don't know that anybody would ever answer this question, but Dudley did. And he said, uh, I don't get along with Blake Griffin now. When I was with him, I didn't have a bad relationship with him. Uh, that team was the most toxic team. It was weird because it was a boat bipolar type team. We were somewhat cool off the floor. We weren't cool on the floor. And then goes up, goes on to say about Griffin, I just don't like his personality and attitude. I think he's a great basketball player, basketball player, and I think you can differentiate the two. It's easy to be the greatest teammate when you're winning. How about when you're losing? How about when you're down 20? Uh, it goes on to say it was the biggest front-running team. And so, interesting, Blake Griffin gets that kind of treatment. I don't know. I, I didn't follow the entirety of what brought down those Clippers, but obviously Griffin's relationship with Chris Paul and DeAndre Jordan and all of that just didn't work. So uh, it sheds new light 
on all of that Clippers misery that was happening, a team that really should have contended for championships. That team was built to succeed, and it didn't. And this, and why I find it so interesting, is that Blake Griffin gets this treatment here where Chris Paul tends to get a lot of the blame. I could be wrong. I obviously I could be missing something about about Blake, but this could be why they traded Blake after him signing that big contract. So I found it interesting that that he chose Blake Griffin in that uh situation. The next thing I found interesting, he was asked the worst city to have a day off in. And he said the younger me would have said Memphis until I got older and saw the St. Jude Hospital and the Martin Luther King Museum. So, interesting. I've, I haven't been to Memphis. I, obviously, I, I'm on the road with the Celtics a lot. I'm going to Memphis this year. So, I'm going to see what, what he means by that. I would figure Memphis is a, a pretty hopping sp- spot. Uh, he was going to say Milwaukee. He said, even though I play for Milwaukee, it's so cold. It's hard to do stuff. I can confirm having been to Milwaukee, it is hard to do stuff. And there's not a ton to do. So, Milwaukee is a tough city to have an off day in. Uh, unless you like beer, cheese, and processed meats. If you like those three things, then Milwaukee is awesome. But if you don't, then it could be a little bit tough. And then he says, uh, Indiana, I'm putting Indiana in it. I've never done anything in Indiana. Now, Indianapolis is, uh, just a generic city. It's nice. Um, it's, I kind of compare it to like Providence, Rhode Island, where, right where I grew up. Uh, it's nice. There are bars. There is a minor league baseball team there and they obviously have their pro sports. Uh, but that there's not much to do there either. So, uh, Indy in the winter can be kind of a, a wild place. It's cold and colder than I expected when I was there recently. So, uh, I found that, I just found that interesting. And the final thing that he said that I am just, this is one of my favorite things that any athlete has ever said, because I think this is a huge, huge deal and part of why the New York Knicks are bad and not getting anybody. So he said, the first thing I would be doing when asked about the Knicks, I'd be getting rid of that practice facility in Westchester. Nobody wants to live there. Nobody wants to commute there. You have to get as close to the city as possible. That's why Brooklyn got Kevin Durant. I told DeAndre Jordan, who told Kevin Durant, the practice facility is two minutes from the Barclays Center. They didn't even know that. I lived in the city. It took me 12 minutes to get to the practice facility. That's a huge bonus. People bash the Knicks, uh, blah, 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 blah. So I've said, I've gone on a Twitter rant about this before. The New York Knicks have a ton of problems, obviously, starting with the ownership uh, that's obvious. The front office, I think, makes moves to more save their own jobs than to build the team, partly because they have to deal with the owner that they, he responds to that. So there are a million things that need to be fixed with the New York Knicks, but the practice facility in Westchester, which if you do not know, the practice facility is not close. New York City is very, uh, 
condensed, uh, uh, very tightly packed. The traffic sucks. I lived in New York City for seven years. It's hard to get around New York City. It's hard to drive around New York City. You've got to take public transportation or just have a driver and you got to, it's not easy to get places. And I really don't care what time of day it is. So to have a practice, you got to get to the practice facility in Westchester. That is a 44 minute drive from Madison Square Garden. Now, obviously they don't live in Madison Square Garden, but from where they play to where they practice, it's 28 miles away and it's a 44 minute drive with no traffic. Where does the player live? You are a young athlete who signs with the New York Knicks. Where are you going to live? Are you going to live near the practice facility? Are you going to live near the game where you play? Are you going to live somewhere in between? Where? And I never understood why this persists, why this continues to be the case. You could put a practice facility, a top-notch practice facility, somewhere right over the Hudson River, somewhere in New Jersey, somewhere, anywhere, anywhere else. But Westchester, I think that's a huge detriment for, for NBA players to try to make that decision. If you live that, sure, there might be older families that, yeah, I'll live up in White Plains. Sure. And then I'll just get to the, I'll get to the practice, practice facility. I, I'm there most of the time anyway. And then, you know, whenever I get to the game, I'll just get there early. You got to get to the game three hours early anyway. So whatever. But that's, that's not the lifestyle that a lot of these guys want to live. And so one of the appeals, like I said, with the Brooklyn thing, it's right there. And all of these teams are putting a lot of money into practice facilities. I walk into this Boston Celtics practice facility every day almost, and it's, it's unbelievable. The, you know, the two full courts, the, 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 all of the training facilities, cold tub, pool, blah, 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 barber, uh, you know, in addition to all the weight room stuff, it's just amazing to be in there. One of the top facilities in the league. And then you go into the Knicks practice facility and it's just <laughs> crap. <laughs> and it's far. It's, it's one of many things. And the Knicks, I think, just operate in a different world. And Dolan doesn't know how to operate in this new world. And unless they fix a lot of these things, I don't know how much better the Knicks are going to get. They've had money. For the first time, we saw the Knicks have money and top-notch free agents who wanted to be in New York spurned them to go to a different team in New York. So that's that's a big problem. Interesting stuff from Jared Dudley in The Athletic. It's by Bill Orem, so go check it out. He said a lot of stuff there. I said a lot of stuff here for half an hour. You don't usually get a solo NBA podcast here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, but you just did. Happy New Year to everybody who's celebrating this new year. It's not a new year for everybody, but for those of you who are celebrating 2020, happy 2020. I hope it's healthy. I hope it's successful for you, and I hope you continue to support the Lockdown Podcast Network and all of our local podcasts. Every team has a podcast. I host the Lockdown Celtics podcast. If you want anything Celtics or if you're a Celtics fan and you haven't subscribed, please do. There's a Lockdown podcast for all of your favorite teams. We've got NFL, MLB, NHL, 
college. So go ahead and search for whatever Locked On podcast you want. There's a good chance it exists for your favorite team, multiple teams even. So go ahead and do that. And, of course, we would appreciate a five-star rating, a good review, and sharing this podcast. Tell everybody to listen to the Locked On NBA podcast. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network.